Blog Talk Radio. From a wet and soggy San Diego, California, this is Greg Masters welcoming you to the broadcast. I'm your host, known to some on Twitter as Two Health Guru, and also the publisher of the blog ACLWatch.com. This is the fifth broadcast in the weekly series ACO Watch, a midweek review where we monitor, analyze, and discuss the emergence of market entrants as accountable care organizations, the expected regulatory guidance, and ongoing industry buzz. Joining me today, or at least um, up until about 12 minutes ago, uh, was um, for this segment ACO1, a physician primer. Uh, was Dr. Mark Brown, uh, principal in the healthcare consulting practice of PYA with offices of Atlanta, Austin, Knoxville, Tampa Bay. Uh, Dr. Brown is an experienced blogger, physician, executive, consultant, and might I add, health tweet, in very good standing on Twitter under the handle of at consult doc. Dr. Brown's interests are in bridging healthcare quality and finance. I say all that by way of introduction because Dr. Brown will not be joining us today. Unfortunately, he um, learned of a minor, albeit family, emergency that he needed to tend to. So first things first, and um, he will not be joining us today. He will be joining us next week when we'll um, push the conversation forward. And let me tell you a little bit about the intention here We want to present information primarily for physician purposes, but it will apply to any healthcare provider, whether institutional or otherwise. The issues technically will be very much the same. The subset and the focus on physicians is driven by the fact that even though the affordable Care Act, the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, create a very broad landscape here as to the innovation and the transformation they are trying to see inside of the healthcare delivery and financing paradigm. Front and center are physicians. Physicians are the drivers of the healthcare equation in terms of creating the demand for services for the most part. So we wanted to put together a program that would focus on key takeaways for physicians as they contemplate what's going on around them. So front and center was, um, as a candidate for um, for this conversation, was Dr. Brown. Uh, and the reason is um, Dr. Brown, in addition to being active at PYA, Uh, for physician leadership consulting purposes. Um, He is fresh off a rather um, impressive seminar that the uh, American College of Physician Executives hosted in Tucson, I guess about a month ago, where Elliot Fisher um, was the moderator, the the master of ceremonies of a panel of uh, chief medical officers in entities that have been modeling and demonstrating essentially what an accountable care organization could look like. And he shared with me a number of um, the key takeaways from the meeting, the sense from the physicians in the audience, I guess 400 plus 
docs were in attendance. Uh, it was a, uh, a groundbreaking uh, conversation on many levels. And I asked, uh, I asked Mark to top of mind tell me what came up for him as key takeaways from that session. And first and foremost was the idea of attribution. Um, but before I'm getting ahead of myself, Mark's not here, so you got me, and I'll um, I'll kind of wing it a little bit. What we were going to do is um, address the questions that, uh, and I'll come back to these takeaways from the session, the American College of Physician Executives Seminar on Accountable Care Organizations. But um, we will, let me back off. the uh, uh, Just by way of an introduction, many of you are familiar with the term ACO, as an abbreviation for Accountable Care Organization. And as far as what we know about them, the um, the pool of wisdom, if you will, is sourced from from um, years of industry experience in the managed healthcare industry. Uh, notions of what uh, a integrated delivery system could look like, what are the organizational formats, who are the players in coming together to coordinate what is otherwise a very fragmented healthcare delivery system that is motivated by production-based incentives. You do more, you earn more in a fragmented context. That's essentially the cottage industry of the healthcare profession as we know it. And the motion, the motion is forward in terms of seeding integrated delivery systems, group practices, creating care coordination, having more of a population management type of perspective on health status. So let me read this uh, definition about accountable care organization to you. It comes out of a comprehensive document that was published by the Congressional Research Service, and this was prepared for the legislators to have some context and history as to the background and the impetus for health reform. So section one of this document, what is an accountable care organization? It reads, while there are numerous definitions of an accountable care organization, the following captures the essential elements. ACOs are collaborations that integrate groups of providers such as physicians, particularly primary care physicians, hospitals, and others around the ability to receive shared savings bonuses from a payer, and in this case it's Medicare, by achieved by achieving measured quality targets and demonstrating real reductions in overall spending for a defined population of patients. And that's footnoted with no fewer than seven references. So I say as to the broad-based sourcing of this knowledge, this wisdom, if you will, uh, there's an awful lot to draw upon. And then after that definition, they further single out the key elements of an ACO, which are one, ACOs bring together and integrate either actually or virtually a broad range of providers across care settings. That's a mouthful. We'll take each one of them individually, but let me summarize them. The second one is they emphasize primary care. Third, they achieve savings from, they, they achieve savings for a payer by effectively integrating care across providers. 
let's see, that's three, that's four providers share with payers in the savings that providers generate. Five, the savings are not at the expense of quality and providers are responsible for reducing costs. Six, providers are responsible for improving quality and reducing costs. And seven, improvements are measured across the specified population. The emphasis is on physicians rather than insurers or hospitals since control, either directly or indirectly, physician 87% of all healthcare spending is either directly or indirectly under the control of physicians. So the rational, the rationale for accountable care organizations is they emerge from the recognition that our current medical system tends to offer fragmented services across providers, an absence of coordinated care, pays for units of service rather than outcomes, and holds no organization or individual responsible for either the quality or cost of care providing. ACOs are supposed to bring providers together under a single organization that creates incentives for them to coordinate care, improve quality, and lower cost. So I'll <clears throat> stop there and just say, um, yeah, we've heard this is deja vu all over again from the point of view of those of us who've been in the health policy or health plan um, world um, at least 30 years. This goes back to the 70s that these um, we've been in search of private market solutions uh, to these problems. And one asks, what's going to make it different this time? Well, what makes it different this time is this law, the Patient Protection and Accountable Care Act, which sets into motion essentially requirements that providers, hospitals, physicians, etc., organize and take responsibility for the management of the health status of a particular population, as opposed to being siloed in terms of their own interests, one physician, one office, one patient pool, and very little care coordination with others who may be involved in the care for that patient. Systems have somewhat solved those problems. They're called integrated delivery systems, and the ones that come to mind are notably the Mayo Clinic, Kaiser Permanente, Geisinger Health System, and Intermontan Healthcare, often mentioned as prototypes of accountable care organizations. So let's go back and talk about these individual bullets that have been um, outlined here. ACOs bring together and integrate either actually or virtually a broad range of providers across care settings. Well, what does that mean to bring together? Number one, it means that there needs to be a legal structure that ties them together. Right now, depending upon which source, uh, AMA or otherwise, the predominant practice model in the private sector, other than public health care like clinics and so forth, are solo physicians in one to five, one to nine practices. So you're talking about basically one Z, two Z, three Z offices of physicians who operate independently. So bringing them together means that they come together in an entity that 
specifically contracts for the terms yet to be defined as established by the payer. And in this case, on the front end, we're talking Medicare, but eventually this is going to essentially invade or diffuse into the private market, including commercial payers, whether they be employer-sponsored health accounts, group, individual, you name it. This is not just limited to Medicare. Medicare is the leading edge here of this innovation. So integrating them is a challenge because they're mostly solos, either actually or virtually. The idea is virtually, rather than form an entity like a group medical practice, they can come together virtually in the form of an independent practice association, which may be a standalone entity or it could be a unit inside a broader unit like a, uh, a physician hospital organization or a PHO. Anyway, they come together. Getting them to come together, first they have to see the wisdom and why they should actually link up. Given the law, given the time frame, there's quite a bit of incentive for them to do that. But bringing them together putting them in alignment with the goals and objectives of what the entity, uh, what the mission of the entity is for, is to contract for services, to coordinate care, it's to monitor quality, it's to hit uh, targets, both cost and quality objectives. This, as a patient or a consumer, we'd say, of course, makes perfect sense. But if you drill down into the incentives of our current healthcare system, that is really not the broad brush tapestry of what the incentives, in fact, create. So that number one point sounds great, tough in, in, in the, uh, as they say, devils in the details. Number two, they emphasize primary care. We've had on this program before Dr. Gordon Moore who talked about ideal medical practices or high-performing health systems or exemplary primary care. The idea often referred to as a medical home would be Primary care physicians come together. They become the core group into which you enter as a patient for health care needs and your care is determined through this organization, through this um, collage of physicians and referred out for appropriate specialty care and follow-up. Number three, they can achieve savings for a payer by effectively integrating care across providers. Lots of duplicate testing going on in these silos because we're not sharing an electronic health record because there is no general nervous system that's sort of monitoring what's going on in a particular population. They need to focus in on creating those economies of scale, those efficiencies and better coordination. Sounds great. Again, devil in the details. Next, providers share with payers in the savings that providers generate. Sounds great, the idea of having a global budget in terms of the... Uh, the ACO conversation talks about the Medicare Shared Savings Program, and as it's currently defined, the Medicare Shared Savings Program simply is the theory that savings will be generated if cost is more prudently managed, better coordinated, more efficient, medical necessary services only, et cetera, that it would create savings, and the savings they would measure is they have a predictive model that says for this particular population, this is the expense trended forward based on some inflation factor. Well, what they're saying here is that over the timeline, the period that this program runs, they're going to have a, a budget, and if the experience comes in below that budget, 
those savings would be distributed between the payer and providers and by some yet-to-be-determined formula in healthcare, a 5% savings is monumental. That would be sort of a goal. Whether it's achieved or not is another question. This idea of the savings program also generates some controversy because the theory is there's an upside incentive here. If there's savings, then you participate in it. At this point, there's no downside. In other words, if you're above budget, let's say the cost experience comes in over what's historically projected for that population, there's really no penalty. So some consider it soft, and uh, there's been some upfront conversation right now, particularly from the uh, MedPAC, which is the Advisory Committee on Medicare, Independent Commission. Uh, They are saying that simply an upside savings in that program is not sufficient to change the behavior patterns which uh, produce the cost, the cost patterns that are currently in the system. They're saying there, sh- there needs to be teeth, there needs to be a, a downside. There's controversy about whether that makes sense or not. One of the main issues here is if, in fact, this is to push this mode of practice into the general mainstream medical population, you're really not talking about mature business entities as mature operating units like Mayo, Kaiser, Geisinger. You're really talking about a loose association of physicians who have relationships that may solely be linked together based on a voluntary medical staff appointment. Other than that, they have no real history in clinically integrating or financially integrating. So the idea that there would be an upside-downside risk or a downside penalty if the budgets weren't achieved would tend to favor the more mature units as opposed to corralling mainstream doctors more gently into this into this idea. Next bullet is the savings are not at the expense of quality and providers are responsible for reducing costs. There's a lot written about this. I'm not the most uh, um, informed, but there will be objective measures of what constitutes quality, best practice, medical pathways, um, evidence-based medicine, um, reminiscent of um, what's been traditionally referred to as cookbook medicine. So the idea that there will be these benchmarks, there will be these parameters to achieve in addition to certain cost objectives, again, devils in the details. It remains to be seen how well this, how, how valid are they as indicators of quality care and can they be integrated with uh, the cost-reducing efforts. Uh, Along with that, providers are responsible for improving quality, reducing costs, and improvements are measured across a specified population. One of the takeaways from the uh, ACPE session was this question of attribution. That's another controversy. And I'm kind of jumping around here, but um, the idea of attribution is, uh, for instance, in an HMO, you elect a provider And as a primary care physician, you have a panel of members. You know who's in your panel for which you may or may not receive some capitated form of payment for that member. In the ACO context, attribution is not yet defined. Some are saying you must define it up front. You must assign a patient to a physician and an ACO so you can track expenses, you can monitor quality and reconcile at the end of the period whether there's a savings or not. And the way they're proposing this to happen 
is rather than it be a front-end attribution or assignment, they're saying it will be on the preponderance of who provides primary care services in the network, a referral network inside of that. That then becomes essentially the ACO. So it's a retrospective determination, a true-up at the end of a period where um, based on the claims history, who, whoever provided the uh, um, preponderance of primary care services is the ACO primary care physician for that patient and the aggregate population that he or she serves. So front end attribution, <clears throat> positive assignment versus back end determination. Some are saying, you know, a back end determination doesn't doesn't work at all. And um, let's see, what are some of these other takeaways from the conference? Okay, um, this whole idea of um, uh, an ACO versus a medical home, there's been, um, uh, medical home has been uh, in, the, in the conversation for some, some time now, and before the idea of a medical home has been perfected, uh, we're now talking about ACOs, and some are saying, well, aren't they the same? How do they differ? What how can we learn from for instance, uh, some of the work done to date, um, the group, uh, physician group practice project has uh, <clears throat> been released recently with um, some um, mixed results as the efficacy of, uh, of um, uh, a series of group practices that demonstrate uh, this more efficient, less fragmented, more optimized care. Let's look to that medical home versus and these enabling technologies that's kind of a general theme about um, what, what's the mechanisms that, that get us there. Um, what about uh, putting a, together a patient-centric organization? How does the patient or the consumer factor into an ACO that makes it uh, relevant from the point of view of these enabling technologies like electronic health records, like engagement, like monitoring, telehealth, telemedicine. Um, so um, let's see. Kind of running out of ideas here. I'm just jumping around. Sorry about that. Let's see what we can refer to. Okay, so that's the what are they. Absent regulatory guidance, we have primarily a 30,000-foot view of some pilot and demonstration exceptions. So we anticipate that uh, later this month, the regs will be issued by the Center for Medicare and Medicaid. Uh, and there'll be a follow back comment period. And there may be more than one round of comments given the sensitivity of some of these issues. And eventually they will be codified into the Code of Federal Regulations. And from that point, that could be six months out, we're going to go live with these things in uh, one year. Uh, January 1, 2012, so we've got a very compressed timeline. What are the known or proximal models to date? How are they structured? I've gotten into this a little bit about the mature delivery systems, the models that come to mind when you first talk about ACOs, Mayo, Kaiser, Geisinger, et al. How are they structured? In those cases, they're fully integrated, vertically integrated, hospital, physician, insurance mechanism entities. What we're talking about here in terms of ACOs are not necessarily 
fully integrated. They could be virtually, or they, uh, either through contracts, or they can actually be mer outright mergers, legal or clinical integration mergers. How will ACOs impact medicine in my practice in particular? Is this Medicare and Medicaid only, or will it uh, impact the private market? Absolutely. This will impact uh, commercial business. The front end is Medicare and Medicaid. Therefore, you might say this appeals only more to those with a public-oriented practice, but it's going to have an impact in private medicine as well, as is also evidenced by the demonstrations and pilots that are already in play. Why are ACOs seen as the centerpiece in the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act? Why the optimism? Hopefully I've touched on some of that. They are an integrating a uniting force in in a sea of silos and fragmented uh, delivery pods. Pods might be a, a stretch in most cases. Silos as individual practices. Why the optimism? Well, we're at the, you know, if, if not now, then when? <laughs> Our house of cards, the employer-sponsored health care delivery and financing system and the public sector expressions of that through Medicare, Medicaid, et cetera, are collapsing. We're beyond diminishing returns for what it produces on the value front proposition. It's too expensive and that we're not getting the coverage that we need. Go-to resources. Hopefully this is one of them. Check out acowatch.com, the blog where we keep um, track of, of developments. And every Wednesday we do this broadcast where we survey what's going on in the market and bring um, more tangible contributions and conversations forward. Why do ACOs hold promise? Absolutely goes back to this idea of organizing, integrating. You know, it's a $2.3 trillion cottage industry, if you will, quote-unquote, cottage, fragmented, siloed, etc. cetera. Um, and um, arguably 17 to 18% of GDP. Well, how can you have... $2.3 trillion in the pipeline of the healthcare economy and have it not be enough. Well, some say on the low end, 20%. On the high end, 40% of that is waste, fraud, and abuse. So um, we look at that as well. And what does physician leadership look like during the ACO consideration process? Here, we're going to spend some time on this. We're going to look in our next, the next segment, and we're going to look at the pros and cons of physicians <clears throat> not necessarily those orchestrated inside of an integrated delivery system, but basically fee-for-service oriented, run-of-the-mill uh, primary care uh, physician practices. Uh, what does leadership look like there? Well, first of all, it means sourcing what we know about this um, effort. What can we learn from the past? There's lots of good experience, California, on the East Coast, Florida, Central um, Texas at Scott and White. Um, the medical group practice culture has a lot of candidate systems that have created experience here. Something to look at. Make sure the principals in that conversation are people who have some institutional wisdom, who have some context and perspective, who have been down the road here once before and understand the many pitfalls that are in front of you. The idea that we have this very compressed timeline and that essential decisions have to be made relatively quickly without perhaps the depth and context that's needed to make a wise choice, this is a problem. So you want to make sure you've got serious consideration on the, fr on <clears throat> on the front end of people 
who actually know what they're doing. Mind the wisdom of the elders here. <clears throat> there are lots of physicians who have been down this road forming IPAs, either fee-for-service or discounted fee-for-service or full-risk contract IPAs, who have developed a lot of experience corralling physicians, putting them in an organization, <clears throat> forging a mission and creating the culture around that mission to actually uh, advance the interests of the entity. There's, there's plenty of physicians, who, many of whom are sitting on the sidelines here. They're sitting on the sidelines because <clears throat> they've been down that road before and they, uh, you know, as I've referred to it, they're recovering from the managed health care <laughs> experience. So don't forget about them. And um, so we're going to talk about PHOs. We're going to talk about IPAs. We're going to talk about should an ACO have uh, an institutional partner, whether it's a health plan, whether it's um, a um, hospital or hospital system. And for one of our future programs, I hope to have Brian Klepper on talking about Brian's model, which is a stealth option inside of an ACO where it's employer-sponsored, employer-articulated formation of an entity. So hopefully you learned something today. And, again, I hope all is well down there um, with uh, Dr. Brown and his family. And uh, we look forward to uh, you joining us on a future broadcast and keeping this uh, of, of interest to you. So thanks again, and Happy New Year to everybody. Hope everyone had a, a lovely holiday, and we will talk with you next time. Okay? Thanks again. <laughs>